Uh, Mark's Gospel. We're, uh, we started a series on the uh, Gospel of Mark and it's so good just to find yourself week by week looking at the person of Christ, listening to what he had to say and uh, we're going to continue that this morning and we've arrived at Mark's Gospel and chapter 4. I'm going to read what is actually a very familiar uh, story which Jesus told and we'll uh, obviously comment on that in a moment. Uh, Jesus we're told, because of the vast crowd, uh, asked to borrow a boat. And actually the, the Greek says he sat on the sea, which is a strange way of expressing it, but we'll read it from Mark 4. He began to teach again by the sea. And such a very large crowd gathered to him that he got into a boat in the sea and sat down. And the whole crowd was by the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables. And was saying to them in this teaching, listen to this. Behold, a sower went out to sow. As he was sowing, some seed fell beside the road, and the birds came along and ate it up. Other seed fell on the rocky ground, where it didn't have much soil. And immediately it sprang up, because it had no depth of soil. And after the sun had risen, it was scorched. And because it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns came up and choked it, and it yielded no crop. Other seeds fell in the good soil, and as they grew up and increased, they yielded a crop and produced thirty, sixty, and a hundredfold. And he was saying, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. As soon as he was alone, his followers, along with the twelve, began asking him about the parables. And he was saying to them, To you is been given, has been given the mystery of the kingdom of God. But to those who are outside, they get everything in parables, so that while seeing, they may see and not perceive. And while hearing, they may hear and not understand. Otherwise, they might return and be forgiven." And he said to them, don't you understand this parable? How will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word. These are the ones who are beside the road where the word is sown. And when they hear, immediately Satan comes and takes away the word which has been sown in them. In a similar way, these are the ones on whom the seed was sown on rocky places who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy, but they have no firm root in themselves, but are only temporary. Then, when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones on whom seed was sown among the thorns. These are the ones who've heard the word, but the worries of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desire for other things enter in and choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. And those are the ones on whom the seed was sown on the good soil. They hear the word, accept it and bear fruit. Thirty, sixty and a hundredfold. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word we thank you sent your son that we wouldn't stay in the dark but may come into the light. 
Lord Jesus, we thank you that your words are life imparting. Now we ask, Father, for the help of the Holy Spirit that we might correctly understand your word, benefit from it, feel its power coming into our lives, Father. We ask it, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. So we're meeting with the Lord Jesus. We've been seeing week by week how he gathered ever-increasing crowds but was not uh, dictated to by other people's agenda. He had his own agenda. And we saw a few weeks ago how Jesus gathered 12 that he gave himself distinctly to, kind of redefining Israel, gathering a new 12, a new people he was going to share his life with. And then we saw uh, how he confronted family and redefined family and said, these people who do my will, they're my family. And so within Israel, he's bringing forth a new people of God who are loving him, hearing his word, doing his will. Jesus is conducting himself in that kind of a way. And here as we go on, we find he begins to speak in parables. This is the first reference to a parable in Mark's Gospel. About a third of Jesus' teaching was in parables. These uh, unusual ways of teaching. Jesus is unique in the New Testament. He's the only person who teaches in parables and he seems to have a particular reason for doing it. And uh, these parables are not like kind of wayside pulpit, which is kind of silly statements outside church buildings, uh, but don't really need Jesus to come down from heaven to tell you those things. Uh, Jesus is bringing what some people call the parables of the kingdom. They are shedding light on how the kingdom advances. Because the expectation was that when the Messiah came, the kingdom would come phenomenally. It would come with kind of cataclysmic impact. Uh, that's why when John the Baptist was in prison and, and Jesus is ministering, but what, what's happening? Why isn't this breaking out? And he sent a question from prison. Are you the one? Are you the one? Because the kingdom expected to come in that kind of manifest way. It wasn't coming like that. It was coming, as Jesus said in another parable, it's like leaven in a loaf. It grows slowly. It's going to grow slowly. And many of the parables shed light on how the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ will advance and advance and advance steadily. Yes, sometimes slowly, sometimes kind of hidden like leaven. Not suddenly break out as they expected when David, that great image of the Messiah, that soldier king, burst on the scene. They thought, well, when Jesus comes, or at least when the Messiah comes, it will be a sudden breakout. And Jesus is saying, no, it's not going to be like that. It's going to be differently. And the parables help to serve that. As we move through Mark's Gospel, we'll see several parables. But here's the first one. And there's something unique about this, because uh, uh, Jesus said, if you don't understand this parable, how will you understand all the parables? So there's certain uh, significant features about this parable which help us. So parables are, they kind of arrest your attention. Many of them have about them the opening phrase, which of you would do this? They're kind of inviting a response, inviting your curiosity. Uh, they usually call for action. Uh, they're really getting at you. Uh, P.G. Woodhouse said this, a parable is one of those stories in the Bible which sounds at first like a pleasant yarn but keeps something up its sleeve which suddenly pops, you up, pops up and knocks you off your feet. Uh, it's got something in it, it's got something about it that really hits you. So a parable has 
purpose. He wants to get under our skin and speak to us. So here's the first one. It's the parable of the sower. Or perhaps it could be called the parable of the different soils because that's obviously the main feature that's on display here. How different soils respond to this seed. I think sometimes we miss the impact of this parable because we we tend to think, oh, this is about receiving the gospel message in its basic form. And so we kind of switch off if we're Christians because we think, oh, well, we know about the parable of the sower. Some people get it, some people don't get it. And for different reasons, they don't get it. And the good soil does get it. And, And we kind of think, well, that's just about how you become a Christian. It's the basic gospel message. But actually, I think that is to miss the weight of it. And it says itself in explanation, the word, or at least the seed, is the word of God. The seed is the word of God. Every time God speaks, this parable is happening. It's happening now. We're having a dynamic experience of the parable of the sower. This morning as we sit here, we represent all kinds of different soil, different ways of responding to what is being said. And week by week as we gather here and people gather in churches up and down the nations, the seed is being thrown, it's being cast. And and different hearts are receiving the word of God in different ways. It may be a word about prayer. It may be a word about victory over sin. It may be a a word about faith. It may be a word about your family. It may be a word about financial resources. Words are coming to us. Words that have power. Words that can change us can save us, rescue us from anxiety and fear or small vision. It's a dynamic process. These words produce life. And these words can affect us, change us. And how we receive them is the big issue. How do we receive those words? So please don't think, oh, we know about the power of the soul. It's about some people who receive the gospel or don't receive it. No, it's about how do we receive what God is saying about all sorts of things. And how we react to what God is saying. And as I say this morning, this actually will happen. As I'm speaking, this parable will take place in this meeting this morning. We're going to experience it. Jesus said, my words are spirit and life. It says he is a life-imparting spirit. And Jesus is here, he can impart life to us. We may be full of anxiety, he can change that with a word. We may have problems with lust. He can change that with a word. He may, we may have all sorts of things that we battle with. A word can set us free. How do we receive that word? So Jesus is saying, like the parable of the sower is saying this, that first the seed falls on the pathway. And there the seed, it says, doesn't penetrate. It sits on the surface. It's that hard pathway area that surrounds the field and as the seed is cast and thrown, some of it just rests on that surface. And uh, Jesus says, the birds come and take it away before before it does anything. It has no impact at all. It's stolen away. And uh, it says in one of the other parables, in one of the other Gospels, and I will refer to, because this parable is in Matthew, Mark and Luke, so I will sometimes refer to what it says in Matthew and Luke, as well as here in Mark. It says it's trodden underfoot. 
It's on that path. You remember Jesus said about, don't cast your pearls before swine, because sometimes they will just turn on you and tread you underfoot. It's kind of indifferent. And you can be like that. Obviously, about the gospel itself, you can be indifferent to it. You can think, surely nobody still believes that kind of thing. Surely no one takes that sort of thing seriously. And we can hear that on our media, we can hear that in the workplace, we can hear it in our family, from parents sometimes. When you become a Christian and your parents, I remember my parents saying to me, don't take it all so seriously. No one takes that seriously anymore. That's kind of old hat. And it's important for us to understand, no, you can miss it completely. And the same seed is producing a hundredfold a few feet away. But on the path, nothing at all. Because why? Well, because actually the seed didn't penetrate. It didn't break through. It didn't have any life-imparting impact. It stayed on the surface. Because, well, we didn't get into it. In fact, it says one of the other Gospels, the, the seed that falls on the pathway is those who hear it but don't understand it. This isn't Timothy, consider these things and the Lord will give you understanding. That's a twofold thing. You consider it and the Lord will give you understanding. It's not like, well, I don't... No, you consider it. And God himself gives understanding. So sometimes we just kind of dismiss. We don't take it seriously. It lies on the surface. And the Bible says this, we have an enemy, that Satan takes it away. So it can be even before we get out through the door. We've just had a nice chat, had a nice cup of coffee, and so it didn't even do anything in us. Whereas elsewhere... It's phenomenally changing people. And we can be like that even as churchgoers regularly. A friend of mine was visiting a very famous church in Guildford when David Pawson was preaching there and he said he was walking behind two people and he was so kind of impacted by the sermon, so very impacted and wanted to just go home and seek God about what he'd heard and he heard two people in front and one said to the other, he was quite good this week, wasn't he? And the other said, yeah, but not as good as last week. They're missing it completely. They're just observing, how did the guy do? Instead of letting this penetrate. And so, yeah, before you know where you are, you've lost it. So the pathway is dangerous turf, where we can hear, but not understand. And we can be in a generation that says, well, no one believes that anymore. But it's been true from the beginning. It's not a modern phenomenon for people to reject. Even in Jesus' day, it said some will reject. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians, for some it's foolishness. For, for those who are perishing, it's foolishness. But to those who believe, it's the power of God. It's the power of God. Some say, I don't understand. It doesn't mean because we've got low IQ. It's not because we're not very clever. It's because we won't become as a little child and let it speak to me. And let give it full weight. So this is a very real warning to us not to miss it. It's obviously true for those who don't even entertain the possibility that God speaks at all. And it's also possible for Christians to just not bother to take the word seriously and not get very changed. They say, well, yeah, I was converted back in 2000 and whatever. But no, I'm not, ah, I don't take the Bible very seriously. You take me as you find me. I'm Joe Blunt. I speak my mind. And you think, well, where's the grace of God in this person's life? Where's, where's some change taking place? 
And it's just he's not receiving the word. He's not being changed by it. He's not being challenged by it. He's not thinking, oh, I see I need to change my worldview on this. I need to change my attitude on this. My, the way I run my home, the way I look after my wife, the way I train my children. I'm not being shaped by truth. Because, well, who can understand it? Bible's difficult. But we need to look into it. When you first go to Starbucks, you think, all I want is a coffee. But I've got to learn all this, you know. <laughs> Americano, a latte, you think, oh, who? I just give me a coffee. No, you've got to learn the language, okay? You have to understand. And if we're going to be serious about growing as a Christian, maybe a hundredfold, you've got to start understanding. You've got to let the truth penetrate into our minds. So the pathway, it just doesn't penetrate, it gets stolen away. The Word is able to change us, it's able to do us good. It's powerful. So beware that danger of just missing it, letting it stay on the surface. The second time, uh, type of soil is the shallow or rocky soil, where a word appears twice. It says immediately the soil takes it, immediately it springs up, and then the sun rises and it's immediately scorched. And... Uh, it has a short life. It's superficial. The whole immediate response, the kind of, well, yes, I'd like this, this sounds great. We can be like that about, yeah, I'd love to be. It's the beginning of the new year. I want to really serve God. I'm, uh, new Year's resolution. You know, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. But have we worked out how we're going to do that? I'm going to read my Bible this year. I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. And sometimes we can just be emotionally stirred and then, well, it's pretty cold in the mornings when the alarm goes off. And who needs this? And, well, I meant it, but... And so what can happen is that there's a superficial kind of yes, but not taking it seriously. Jesus said at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, the wise man is a man who hears the word, and he says, and he digs down deep and builds his house on a rock. The foolish man hears it, but he doesn't, he doesn't dig down. He builds superficially, builds on the sand. And the storms hit both. It's not that storms, if you put God first, you won't hit a storm. No, you'll hit storms. But it, you need to get deeper than this. We need to get under the surface. And here we find there's a kind of immediacy, an impulsive response, but it gives up. Jesus was very serious about things like this. He said, if a soldier goes into battle, before he goes, he begins to look and see what resources have I got? What kind of strength? Can I win this? Or when a man builds a house, he says he looks at his resources, I don't want to start building and then find I can't finish. So the Bible is saying, don't be impulsive. Don't do things without considering them. Don't, don't take on something that you're not going to see through. And that's, again, very important for us. Whatever word God is speaking to us. So I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this with my finance. I'm going to put God first. I really felt God spoke to me. I feel in the past I've not honoured God with my finance. Right, this is the new year. We're going to do it. Or maybe we've just got married right, let's, let's, let's sort this, we're going to put finance, we're going to do this, and then, wow, it's difficult. I mean, look, 
we're hitting some problems here. We're having difficulties. I mean, look at the mortgage and this, and I'm not sure. Well, maybe not. And so this word that came to us about trusting God, putting financial things in order, and then the heat of, wow, interest rate, or heat of, well, can we afford this anymore? And look what the season ticket costs now. And you think, oh, forget it. But at first we thought, oh, wouldn't it be wonderful? I want to put God first in my money. I want to put God first in my marriage. But you see, all these words come to us, and then pressure hits us. And something that seemed very precious, ah, we just abandon it. And so we need to be seeing this very carefully, that there's a danger in living on the surface. It's one of the great heroes of the Bible. You think of someone like Nehemiah. He got it in his heart to rebuild the city of God. He saw it in ruins, he saw the walls down, he saw the gates burned. His heart was broken. That Zion, which was supposed to be the joy of the whole earth, was a mess. The church, supposed to be glorious, it's just a mockery, a mockery. What are they doing now? They're going to do what with bishops? They're going to do this? The church? Oh, God, I want to build something that's worthy of your great name. Something that looks like Jesus, something that looks splendid and glorious, not just foolishness, not just mockery. And your heart aches, let's go for this. And you start, and Nehemiah started. People challenged him, said, who do you think you are? What are you trying to build? We know, who you, we know what you're up to. His motives were challenged. But he did so well, didn't he? He kept going. The thing went deeper into his heart. So when the heat came, he didn't abandon God said things to you? You think, gosh, can I keep going? These are speaking of those who make a start but don't see it through. Begin but abandon. And when I first got converted, I was at grammar school and I, I came to Christ. I thought, right, and I, I bought a scripture union badge and put it on my lapel. And I, I remember I went to school and the art teacher, who I really kind of, kind of honoured and thought he was a wonderful guy, he said, what on earth is that? You've become one of those religious people. That, was it, that, that badge lasted, I think, two days. It was gone. I'm not having that. I can't stand the heat. And so sometimes heat comes and you back off. The seed that I just wanted so much to live for Jesus. It didn't take much heat for me to abandon the whole thing. It doesn't say if the sun rises, the sun tends to rise. And it says in the scripture, if you're going to be Christian, you will suffer persecution. There will be backlash. There will be pressure. So we need to understand, yeah, pressure will come challenging the word that you received. And sometimes delay will challenge it. I was reading this week in Romans 4, it says, Abraham grew strong in faith. There was long delay for Abraham. Sometimes when, we, when there's delay, we grow weak in faith. I thought God was going to give us that. Well, it hasn't happened this year, and there's another year gone, and well, maybe not. Maybe we should settle for... But it says of Abraham, through the delay, he grew strong in faith, giving praise and glory to God fully persuaded that what God had promised, he's also able to perform. 
So in the delay, he grew in faith. Beloved, you're having delay on things you've been asking for, prayers you prayed, things you thought, God, God promised me, and this hasn't happened. Abraham grew strong in faith through the delay. He didn't abandon it. Oh, forget the whole thing. That's the temptation. Oh, forget it. I thought God said, but... Now, Abraham grew strong. Through the delay, he grew strong in faith. Fully persuaded that what God had promised. He, he dwelt on the word. He let the word work in him. He, he kept pondering, no, God promised it. God promised it. He didn't abandon the seed. He let the seed keep growing, even through the delay. And so I'm sure there are promises God's given us. You know, you've had seed that's been thrown into your life. Words you've heard from God. How are we going to handle it when the heat comes? These guys, we're told when the heat came, immediately they abandoned it. Seed didn't produce what it was meant to produce. Then thirdly, some grew among thorns. Weeds grew up around the seed. And it says they choked the words and the word proves unfruitful. So, the sun burning down is something coming from outside, challenge, pressure. The weeds or thorns are some things that grow up with your permission, inside, crowding out the seed. You've got good seed, but you've got other stuff as well. There's other things taking up the space. There's other things growing alongside. And they choke the word. So it says in Luke's account of this parable, so no fruit grows to maturity. I find that a very challenging phrase. It's growing, but it, it's not growing to maturity. So there's some life there. That, you know, God spoke to me, and I really failed it, and I'm sometimes making progress, but I don't feel I've got right through. I don't feel... I thought this was going to happen to me by now. I thought by now... I would have proved God in that area. And yes, sometimes I feel it, but it doesn't grow to maturity. It's not like, well, there it is. There it is. Our marriage is so much better than it was. Look, our finances. Look, my attitude, my, la- my lack of anxiety. Look, I'm, I'm, ch- I'm being changed. No, it's kind of there, but it isn't quite there. It doesn't grow to maturity. Why not? Because there's other stuff that's growing there as well. There's other stuff that demands your attention, attracts your emotion, draws you away. There's not, you see, Paul said this, this one thing I do, a kind of focused intentionality, this is the way I intend living. Leaving things behind, I, I give myself to this. That was Paul's attitude, that's what we're being invited to to be far more intentional. This is what matters to me. That means I have to make certain choices. Well, I want to be a man of prayer. I want to be a woman of prayer. That means you have to make some choices, some priorities. Things have to change. Things have to be not just embraced, but other things, well, that will have to go then. That will have to go. There have to be some very serious choices that are made. And so what is it? It says, well, what are these things that choke the word? Well, they're not gross. It doesn't say these are gross evils. It's not, there's a, here's a Christian, 
involved in gross evil as well. It's, it's the quite simple phrases, really. The worries of this world. The worries of this world. They're competing with promises God's made. They're challenging your emotions, your thought life, the moments you're alone, the worry. So, the Word of God has not overcome these anxious thoughts. Now, Jesus repeatedly said, don't take anxious thought. It kind of forbade worry. And we have to, we have to see it as a command, really. And you have to be kind of ruthless with yourself. It's like he says, don't steal. So, I guess most of us don't. Don't worry. It's just the same. Well, most of us don't. Well, maybe. And so, there has to be a ruthlessness. It says, take no anxious thought. Paul says, be anxious for nothing. But through prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, make your request known to God. And the peace of God which passes understanding, will keep your heart and your mind. That's a super, that's, that's supernatural seed that comes into a world full of anxieties and tensions, what's happening to the world, what's happening to the economy, what's happening to jobs, what's happening to pensions, what's happening, there's so much to worry about. And beloved, that's the conversation of the world. And we could even be in church and love Jesus and worship him and sing to him and praise him. But it's so easy to step out of church and just get into that culture and you're speaking to the person at work or in the family and you just go into their world of, yes, it's terrible, isn't it? Then what's happening in the world? Whereas there should be something about us that demonstrates a peace. There should be something about us that, well, we're in the same danger zone. We could all lose our jobs, but you're the one in the office that somehow, doesn't it trouble you? Yeah, well, I have a wife to care for and so on, but, you know, I'm really feeling God's got my life in his hands. And it's not just language. It's fruit growing from inside. It's not just jargon we've learned. Oh, I'm a Christian, I should say this. No, it's done something. This word has affected me. It's growing in me. It's, it's changing the way I see life. It's changing the way I approach life because I'm living by this word. I, Lord, I live by your word. I'm like a tree planted by a stream. I'm bearing fruit. My leaf is green. All that I do is prospering. Why? Because I'm living by your word. I'm, I'm, I'm not letting the worries of this world... No, that isn't to say there won't be things... They say, well, I should worry about that. How can I pay that? But it says, look, by prayer, supplication, with thanksgiving. It's not when I prayed about it for five minutes, I'm just as worried when I get up as I was when I got down. Why pray when you can worry? We need our praying should break the power of our worrying because with thanksgiving... And we come to God. We, we, we've, really believed, we've really received this word. It's not the power of positive thinking. It's receiving a word. Disciples, this discipleship isn't a kind of how-to-do-it-yourself job. There's power in the word of God. Our responsibility is to make sure that other stuff does not affect the power of this word that can change me. The word is life-imparting. 
Am I giving it space? Am I letting it speak? Am I letting it have the impact it can have? So the worries of this world. The deceitfulness of riches is another phrase. The Bible sees money, it calls it mammon. It's like another god. It's like a false god. It's looking for your worship. It's offering you security. It offers you what God offers you, actually. Security, freedom. You'll be okay, I'll look after you. Just, just worship me, really. And Jesus says, you can't worship mammon and God. You can't do it. It will choke the promises of God. It will make you double-minded. So, winning the battle about money is a big thing for the believer. Jesus said more about money than virtually anything else because it wants to assume a position of terrific authority in your life, the decisions you make, the way you live. And so, deceitfulness of riches, notice that phrase, deceitfulness, because riches don't actually have the answer. You know, when you say, oh, it's okay, it's in the bank. It's not so good when the bank collapses, is it? It's deceitful. It's, it's making promises it can't keep. And so for us, we need to beware the danger of putting our trust in money. It's a false god. And it stops the seed growing. It stops the supernatural energy factor. This wonderful supernatural reality that the God of heaven makes promises that he will stand by, which has power to reproduce hundredfold in you. It's got energy and power. But, well, I've got this and I, well, I need to do this and I'm, actually I, I feel my investments will keep me safe. And that stops this word growing in us. The deceitfulness of riches. And then another phrase, it just says the desire for other things. The desire for other things. You know, we sometimes sing songs like You're all I want you're all I ever needed. That's, I always think that's a very brave song to sing. It takes faith to, to honestly say that. Because there's lots of things we want. There's lots of things we desire. There's lots of things that are quite right to desire. Let's be realistic. Things that it's appropriate to desire. Things where I, w- I would love that. And not inappropriate. God is rich in mercy. He gives us all things to enjoy. What it's talking about here is it's not just the desire, it's, it's, a, it's a, a Greek word with the word epi at the beginning. It means, it means stronger than, it means craving, really. The craving for other things. The kind of, I can't live without that. It's gotta, I've got to have that. That's, to me, it's everything. And you can see little children with that attitude. I want it, I must have it now. And we can be like that. We just have a craving. That if I don't get that, I can't get him, her, that, this job, that house. I mean, craving. There are things. That's, we're not all meant to be ascetics. We don't, when you become a Christian, you don't become a monk. You don't give up everything. That's not what the Bible teaches. It's not what the Bible teaches. He gives us all things richly to enjoy but it's when that craving becomes so important to you that it chokes this, this living word. This word that can change you, that can free you, can make you whole and secure and peaceful and happy. 
in God. It just gnaws away because I've got to have that. And so we find a desire for other things. This emotional need that must be met. But Jesus can be, well, yeah, I know about Jesus. I sing the songs. But when I go out of here, I must go and see. I must go and do. I must be part of. I really get my kicks out there. That's where I'm looking for fulfilment. And when that is the case, you never find that you meet the sort of thing you read. I love reading biographies, don't you? And you read about someone, you know, some of these great men and women of God. You think, wow, look at the experiences they had. How did they get there? Well, they made some choices earlier on that actually Jesus can meet that need. That he really meets the need totally. And other things assume the right proportion. Intellectual satisfaction. You see, sometimes, oh, we love the law, we love the songs, but, you know, if I really want to satisfy my mind, because I'm a bit of an intellectual, so I go elsewhere to get intellectually satisfied. And again, you can miss the, the challenge and the excitement of digging in and finding that God really does meet our needs. The thing we need to ask ourselves is, are the other things choking are they stopping anything growing to maturity? As we've come to the end of this last year, do you feel, yeah, I reached where I wanted to. I felt, I felt my faith has really grown to maturity. My joy has reached maturity. Think, well, it's not where I'd like it. No, one of the reasons it's not there is it gets choked out by other things. And then, of course, finally, good news, there's good soil. And uh, in reading the comments on this from the scholars they say that probably a, a, a yield of those days was like 10% was regarded as good yield so when Jesus talked about 30, 60, 100 that would have been dramatic when he said that that would have dramatic impact we're talking about phenomenal fruitfulness, phenomenal fruitfulness and some would argue that that's the whole point of the parable that Jesus is promising something awesome in its growth potential the good soil. What, is it, what, is, what characteristics does the good soil have? Well, here we have it. They hear the word. All right? Simple phrases, really. They hear it. Not superficially. Not saying, oh, didn't he do well this week? They're hearing it. They're really taking it in. They're grasping what it has to say. And it's fascinating, actually, that uh, in each of the other places, Greek is quite a um, complicated language in many ways has lots of different te- tenses and the other three tenses it says they hear the word it's called the aorist tense it means they heard it once they heard it this one when it comes to the good soil it is they continued hearing it it's what's called the present continuous in, in Greek it's like they heard it and kept on hearing it the good soil hears it and keeps on hearing it It's it's characterised by continuing to hear. It's hearing. And we need to to be in a place where we're hearing the word, to be in a church where the Bible's preached. I had the privilege yesterday of being at the uh, uh, memorial service of a dear friend of mine, actually. We were at Bible college together. His name was Arnold Bell. He became one of the teachers in the New Frontiers training programme and been doing it for some years. And there are a number of pastors. People are gathered in from all over the country to give thanks to God for his life. He suddenly died 
a week ago, very sudden, unexpected. And it was just thrilling to hear people giving testimony. And the first two who gave testimony were a young man who'd grown up in the church in Sheffield where he's been a pastor, and the second was a girl, or a young woman, similarly. And, and it was just thrilling to hear them speak and say how he changed the way they thought. And they just thanked God. They said, we've been in this church, and this lady said, I've been listening to Arnold preach for like 12 years. He has changed my thinking. I understand the grace of God. I understand things. He's, he's helped me comprehend. Because week in, week out, she's in the church where the Bible is expounded. Well, it's not just fun and games, but the Bible is being taught. And it's changed her worldview. It's changed her value system. It's, and she was so radiant and fun and down to earth, just a lady in the membership. And just so eloquently saying, he taught me to think right. Because she kept on hearing, kept on receiving, and accepting. Said, oh, I, you think that, but I think this. No, no, she was accepting. That's the next word you find. It says they hear it, and particularly in Luke's Gospel, chapter 8, it says they accept it. Now you need to find ways to, to feed on the word for yourself as well. Uh, for five years now, I've been using the Robert Murray McShane uh, Bible reading plan. Before that, I used to be someone who looked at a few verses and kind of tried to poke them around and I'd try and write things down. And I thought, I, thought, I haven't read the whole Bible through for years. And uh, I thought, well, I want to go back to doing that. So I used the Murray McShane system, which is quite a well-known system, which you read the whole Bible in the year and the New Testament and the Psalms twice in the year. So I did that five years. And after, at the end of the last year, I thought, I think I want to go back to my old way, perhaps. And I just started on 1 Corinthians, and I've got two commentaries, and I'm going through verse by verse. So I've got five verses done uh, over five first days of the new year. So I, I thought, well, I want to do a fresh way. I've, I've done it this way. And I thought, well, I'll change. I'll do it. I'll read, I'll read McShane. I'll read the whole Bible. Because I'm, when did I last read the story of Abraham? When did I last read the stories of Moses? I want to get the broad sweep. And I came to the end of the first year of doing that. I thought, it's a funny way of reading the Bible. You just go. And I thought, I want to do it again. So I did it again. And then after three, I thought, I am really beginning to enjoy this. And after four, I thought, oh, shall I stop now? It was like after four kids, I thought, shall I have the snip now? I thought, no. <laughs> I don't think I will. And we have one more child. <laughs> so I, and I thought, no, I can now. I want to stop. Stop! Stop! And I thought, no, five years is enough of this. And, uh, and I've come back to it. And I'm reading 1 Corinthians chapter 1, one verse at a time a day. And I'm loving it. You've got to, something you're comfortable with. Read the Bible the way you feel comfortable. That's helping you. You're receiving it. You're finding it helpful. It's food. It's life. It's given me huge blessing just reading these first half dozen verses in the last few mornings. Accept it. It says in Luke 8, in the same parable story in Luke's account, you receive it in a good and honest heart. It's a fascinating phrase, isn't it? The good soil receives it in a good and honest heart. To me, that means... Take it for what it is. Receive it for what it says. You see, sometimes the Bible, you think, well, I don't agree with that. I've never thought that. But that's what it says. And so, as we're going to grow in God, and we believe he's the truth, and we're confused. 
then we just had to lay down our confusion and say, well, no, that's what he says. And so, some theology is difficult. But you have to say, no, that's what he says. And even that early part, which I've not spent a lot of time on because it's quite a big theme, it says one of the reasons he gave the parables was that they wouldn't understand. You think, what? Why would he do that? And there's a sense in which he's quoting from Isaiah that in Isaiah's generation they'd become so hardened and so resistant. God says, I'm speaking parables because, well, I've had enough of these people. And it's almost like it'll cloak, it'll hide the truth. And Jesus takes that teaching and brings it into the New Testament. And, and he says, it's given to you, but to the outsiders it remains in parables. So Jesus who we read the other day, he gathers his twelve, he redefines family, says, these are my family. Then he says, outsiders won't understand. Outsiders. Jesus used that word. But who were the outsiders? Because Jewish culture was for the insiders, were the Sadducees, the Pharisees, the scribes. They were the insiders. They regarded the people as scum, we are the insiders. But Jesus took out the tax collectors and the sinners and he ate with them and he made new insiders. And he regarded the Pharisees as the outsiders. He established a new way and it was the humble and the lowly and the meek who would listen to him. And the outsiders got more and more angry with the things he said. You claim to be the Son of God. He said, I am the Son of God. And, and they, they were hit, the things were hidden from them. Now sometimes we struggle. What do you mean God was hiding? And there are many things in the Bible that we struggle with. He said, well that's not, what, that's not the way that men think. It doesn't seem fair. God chooses to save some. It doesn't seem fair. But you see, dear friends, we don't bring our... <laughs> God doesn't bow to another throne called fair play. He's God. There is no throne above him. So what we need to do is to hear what he says and to receive it in a good and honest heart. We'll benefit much more from the Bible if we let it speak to us what it's saying and be changed by it. And then we start thinking his way. We line up our thinking. We change our worldview. We get into line with him. We say, Lord, teach me. And it's not a coldness about this because you'll find in these verses again and again, now listen, listen, listen to this. It's not like he's indifferent. He's inviting us to listen. He said, come to me, listen. And we need to hear what he has to say with a good and honest heart. There was a time when the opponents to Jesus said, by what authority do you speak? And he said to them, John's baptism John the Baptist, what he taught, was that from heaven or was that from men? And they said, if we say it was from heaven, they'll say, well, why didn't you receive John the Baptist then? If we say it's from men, they won't like it because they believe John was a prophet. So they said, we don't know. In other words, they were totally dishonest. They didn't let it say what God was saying. They said, no, no, we'll say we don't understand. They were hiding. They were not with an honest heart. And so over the years, I know for myself, I've had to change my view because I thought, oh, I see the Bible says that. I never understood that. Accept it with a good heart. And then again in Luke's Gospel, 
it says the good ground holds it fast. The good ground holds it fast. We spoke a bit about this earlier in contrast to the immediately gives up. No, this holds it fast. I heard someone say recently, what is an oak tree? An oak tree is an acorn that refused to give ground. Caleb, I love, the st- I love Caleb, don't you? I've got the age where you love Caleb. Caleb said, I'm 80 years old, but give me this mountain. God promised me it 40 years ago. He held it fast. He wouldn't let go of it. He got promises, don't let go. Good soil doesn't let go. And then it says this, they, they bear fruit, and again, in Luke's account, it says, with perseverance. They bear fruit with perseverance. That's the good soil. It perseveres. We have need of patience that when we've done the will of God, then we receive the promise. We need to be imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit it. As we battle on as a church for the building we believe God's spoken to us about, that takes faith and patience. Not passivity, Oh, one day maybe. No, it's faith and patience. It's a mingling of saying, God's got it and we're going to keep believing. And so faith and patience, things that God has said to you, faith and patience, they bear fruit. All right, we must close here with this word. They bear fruit. Let's understand this. To be a Christian is to to have another life growing within you. Notice what Paul says to the Thessalonians. In 1 Thessalonians 2, he says, verse 13, When you received the word of God from us, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but for what it really is. The word of God, which is at work in you who believe. Isn't that exciting? When you heard us preach, you didn't hear, well, that's Terry Virgo speaking, that's the Apostle Paul speaking, that's Peter speaking, that's Simon speaking. No, no, no. What you heard is the word of God, which it really is, which is at work in you. It works in you. When you believe it, when you run this, what it says, he that believes, he's died to sin. That when Jesus was crucified, I was crucified. When Jesus was raised, I was raised. That's the word of God. It really is. It means I can be freed. It means I can walk in holiness. It means I don't have to keep falling. I don't have to keep sinning. There are words that change us, set us free. It's the word that does it. It's the word that has energy. It is at work in you. The, 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 The word has power of itself to transform, to set us free, to make us winners rather than losers. Jesus says, my word is spirit and life. It's got power in it. Power to change you. Power to transform the way you live. To bring another kingdom, to bring you out of the dominion of darkness. And more and more. Some of us, when we got saved, we were in such a mess. So all kinds of areas in our lives. It's like living in a big house and we think, oh, look in that door, I haven't done that room yet. You know, I haven't, oh, I haven't done that room yet. And as you grow as a Christian, it's like, come on, let's go into that door. Let's go into that room as well. Let the light come into that room. Let the truth come into that room. Let the truth come into that part of my life. Let the truth come into this part of my life. 
keep on being changed because this truth can set me free. Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. If you're my disciples, you'll continue in the word and the word will set you free. And so the good soil receives it with patience and faith and celebrate the wonder that this word has power. And as I close, I just say some of you perhaps even don't know Jesus yet. Maybe you've never received him. The Bible says, as many as received him, to them he gave power to become children of God. The word has life-changing power. A Christian isn't someone who's sorting out their life, trying to become religious. It's someone who receives life. He that has the Son has life. He that has not the Son of God has not life. You may get a glimpse, it could get stolen away, but you can receive him. It was wonderful to be at a funeral yesterday, or a memorial. Funeral had been the day before. Hundreds of people singing, praising, laughing, clapping, celebrating. Arnold's dear wife there, son, daughter, and no one's saying, oh, he's gone. And they're saying, Jesus, thank you. He's safe. He's secure. He knows. We know he's with you. The triumph of the gospel. The certainty of it. The wonder of knowing sins are forgiven. That Jesus died in our place. That he's alive. That he speaks to us and changes us. Maybe you've never done that. Maybe you've never received Jesus into your life. We'd love to help you. We'd love to pray with you. I thank God for the day I first heard this living word. Jesus is alive. He died for your sins. You can be forgiven today. You can step into new life today. And I received it into my heart. And he gave eternal life. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your presence with us. Lord, we thank you for your word. Just want to pray for everyone here, Lord. We all represent these different types of soil. You know our hearts, Lord. You know how you view us. We thank you. Your sight of this field is so accurate. You see us in our seeds. You see us as types of soil with all kinds of words you've spoken to us. Some in recent days, some years ago. We thank you the seed is still full of power. Thank you, Jesus. Your word is mighty. We want to be like Abraham who grew strong in faith. Fully persuaded that what God had promised He's able to perform. Lord, I pray in Jesus' name, let this word do us good this morning as we come to celebrate you, to worship you. Lord, let the word, let the word be mixed with faith in our hearts. Let it do us good. Help us to make good choices. Help us to be diligent. Help us to be ruthless, Lord, with the thorns and the weeds. I pray for that. Maybe you have to make choices this morning. Maybe some stuff has to go. Because it's just choking. It's just 
things that choke this wonderful word. It needs a bit of ruthlessness. It needs some weeding. Get that stuff out. Get it out so this wonderful living word can have its full impact. Break the power of anxiety and worry. Break the power of secret lust. Break the terrible boredom of just going through the whole motion. Jesus himself, his wonderful word, can speak life to you day by day. Keep on speaking. Father, I pray in Jesus' name, let your word do us good now, we pray. Let's stand to worship.